0: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 210. It's titled, Are There Always Winners and Losers When Trading? A few weeks ago, I mentioned listener Gabe. They had some really insightful questions. and In this episode, I'm going to focus on his third question. Here it is. He writes, is the economy net zero? That is to say, if I gain money, does that always mean someone else is losing it? If I invest in a company and find I make a profit, did someone else have to, to sustain a loss? If I purchase a stock and get a return, did someone else have to lose money for that to happen? Who can to it- talk about it in terms of investing, Well let's think about it more broadly in terms of the overall economy. And I try to think of something that I have bought recently, my favorite thing, and I bought a pair of dungarees, of oversized overalls. They're made by, the designer is Nigel Caborn. He's a British designer. He's about 69 And for months, I've been following him on Instagram, and he always wears these these dungarees. And he travels between the UK, Japan, China, spends four months out of the year visiting vintage stores around the world and collectors. Here's here's his quote. What's great about workwear and military clothing is that it's designed as any other good, lasting product is. It's designed for purpose, which means it doesn't matter if it was designed in the 1930s or last week. That's what turned me on to collecting vintage work and army clothing back in 1978. That triggered a real passion for real clothing. Fashion doesn't seem to think about longevity anymore. I've been watching Nigel. Wear these overalls and I was a teenager and I had a window washing business, wasn't very good at it. In my daydreams, I was wearing overalls as I I did the work. And I have no idea. I've never owned a pair of dungarees or overalls in my life. But I thought, Nigel seems really happy in his. I'm going to try it out. So I bought them. And I'm really satisfied with them. Nigel made a profit. The person that made them earned money. The person that designed the the fabric, made the fabric, grew the cotton. And the economy grew because a new item was produced. That is what gross domestic product is, growth of gross domestic product. It's the measure of output, newly produced goods and services. And if there isn't what's known as a negative externality, if there wasn't a cost, that somebody somebody innocent that had nothing to do with the transaction born, so let's say a company, whoever made the fabric has heavily been polluting the river, there's a net loss there, whoever has to use that river. But if that's not the case, if there's no negative externality, then that transaction was a net positive for everyone. And then sometimes I feel weird wearing my dungarees. I have to admit, it's it's an acquired taste. People stare at you when you dress like this. But Nigel can do it, so sometimes I do it too. Let's look at a more difficult situation. This is a thought experiment by Marcus Tullius Cicero. This is from his volume titled De Officis. According to Wikipedia, it was written sometime between October and November, 44 BC. So just under four weeks. This was Cicero's last year alive. He was 62, still active in politics, trying to stop the revolutionary forces from taking control of the Roman Republic. But the Republican system failed. Caesar was assassinated and Cicero was assassinated later that year. Here's his thought experiment. He writes, suppose, for example, a time of dearth and famine at Rhodes with provisions at fabulous prices. So the cost of goods, very high because there's a lack of them. Suppose that an honest man has imported a large cargo of grain from Alexandria. And that to his certain knowledge, also several other importers have set sail for Alexandria, and that on the voyage he has sighted their vessels laden with grain and bound for Rhodes. Is he to report the fact to the Rhodians, or is he to keep his own counsel and sell his own stock at the highest market price? Cicero goes on to point out that this is a virtuous, upright man. And he says, I am raising the question how a man would think and reason who would not conceal the facts from the Rhodians if he thought it was immoral to do so, but who might be in doubt whether such silence would really be immoral. If you are selling something and you know that the price is, might fall. That's the situation here. Those ships come in, the price will fall. Do you disclose that? What if it was an investment security? Do you disclose it? Gets to Gabe's question here. He elaborated on his question. He says, if a person bought high, the price of a stock began to fall, and they decided to get out, before they lost any more money and were able to successfully sell the stock, where did that money or value they initially put into the stock go? Similarly, when a person buys low and sells high, where did that money and value come from? It's supply and demand. The gain and loss in value of an asset always accrues to someone. When Bitcoin collapsed, From 20,000, close to 20,000, down to 10,000, there were sellers of Bitcoin that made huge profits. In fact, there's been some reports that perhaps the market was manipulated at that time. The losers were those that sold the assets. So This is different than my dungaree example because there I got the satisfaction of the dungaree. In this case, though, if the merchant doesn't disclose the oncoming supply, then the price stays high and the merchant makes a profit. And the loss, when the grain prices fall, goes to whoever buys it. Not an easy question to answer. Here's what Cicero says. He writes, in deciding cases of this kind... Diogenes of Babylonia, a great and highly esteemed Stoic, consistently holds one view. His pupil, Antipater, a most profound scholar, holds another. According to Antipater, all the facts should be disclosed, that the buyer may not be uninformed of any detail that the seller knows. According to Diogenes, the seller should declare any defects In his wares, insofar as such course is prescribed by the common law of the land, but for the rest, since he has goods to sell, he may try to sell them to the best possible advantage, provided he is guilty of no misrepresentation. I have imported my stock, Diogenes' merchant will say. I have offered it for sale. I sell at a price no higher than my competitor's perhaps even lower, when the market is overstocked, who is wrong? So this isn't a case of price gouging. He's just selling it at a competitive price. What say you, comes Antipater's argument on the other side. It is your duty to consider the interest of your fellow men and to serve society. You were brought into the world under these conditions and have these inborn principles which you are in duty bound to obey and follow, that your interest shall be in the interest of the community. And conversely, that the interest of the community shall be your interest as well. So you should disclose everything because it's in the interest of the community. Diogenes says, it's one thing to conceal not to reveal is quite a different thing. What's the difference between concealing and revealing? What well, Concealing means to hide something. Prevent it from being seen, a defect. For example, when laprille and I sold our house that we had built, we built in 2005, we sold it in 2012, we bought another house. And with most property, there's a disclosure statement. There was nothing disclosed that was wrong. And when we started, we closed on the house. When we started moving in, we pulled off some shelves down in, in the storage room. And then we, and we actually pulled some of the sheetrock away. And there was mold in there. A lot of mold. A, a disconcerting amount of mold that hadn't been disclosed. Now, it's a question, did they conceal it or did they not know about that? And we went back and forth. And in this case, the seller, they bought the house back. They, they went beyond what the law said to do. I probably didn't have any legal standing. But they did what was in the best interest of the community, and they bought the house back. Cicero writes, in the laws pertaining to the sale of real property, it is stipulated in our civil code that when a transfer of any real estate is made, all its defects shall be declared as far as they are known to the vendor. But in this case, this particular instance of the importer, Cicero says, at this moment, this is Diogenes speaking, at this present moment, I am not concealing from you even if I'm not revealing to you everything he knows, I am under no obligation to tell you everything that it may be to your interest to be told. And Antipater mentions again that Diogenes has these these bonds of fellowship with his fellow citizens. I do not forget them, Diogenes replies, but do you mean to say that those bonds of fellowships are such that there is no such thing as private property. If that is the case, we should not sell anything at all, but freely give everything away. This story was highlighted in Nassim Nicholas Taleb's latest book, Skin in the Game. And he brought it up because he, he was a trader, traded securities. And he said, he writes, we traders had a straightforward answer to this predicament. Again, stuffing, which is the word for selling quantities to people without informing them that there are large inventories waiting to be sold. So potentially, the price will drop. He goes on, an upright trader will not do that to other professional traders. It was a no-no. The penalty was ostracism, but it was sort of permissible to do it to the anonymous market. And the faceless Non-traders are those that we called the Swiss, some random suckers far away. There were people with whom we had a relational rapport, others whom we had a transactional one. The two were separated by an ethical wall, much like the case with domestic animals that cannot be harmed, while rules on cruelty are lifted when it comes to cockroaches. Diogenes, Talib continues, held that the seller ought to disclose as much as civil law requires. As for Antipater, he believed that everything ought to be disclosed beyond the law so that there was nothing that the seller knew that the buyer didn't know. Clearly, Antipater's position is more robust. Robust being invariant to time, place, situation, and color of the eyes of the participants. You act this way all the time in every circumstances. That was Antipater's fusion. That's the ethical thing to do. Talib says the ethical is always more robust than the legal. Over time, it is the legal that should converge to the ethical, never the reverse. Hence, laws come and go, and ethics stays. Talib asks, to what extent can people in a transaction have an informational differential between them? Informational asymmetry, where someone knows something, and it's not a defect. They just know something that might happen in the future that could impact the price. Defects is different. Cicero mentions, if a man knowingly offers for sale wine that is spoiling, ought he to tell his customers? That's different than the situation with the grain. Here's how Taleb concludes it, and I agree with him. He writes, Simply as the aim is for both parties in a transaction to have the same uncertainty facing random outcomes. Or more robustly, no person in a transaction should have certainty about the outcome, while the other one has uncertainty. If someone has inside information which gives an edge in the markets, there remains enough uncertainty for both parties. Given that the price is in the future and only God knows the future, selling a defective product where there is certainty as to the defect, on the other hand, is illegal. Taleb concludes that's not revealing the defect or concealing the defect regarding the wine, that that's unacceptable. But in the case of, of the grains, And knowing there was additional supply, there's still enough uncertainty there that it's acceptable. You don't have to disclose everything. But he points out, as we see, the problem of asymmetry is so complicated that different schools give different ethical solutions. There's not a right answer here. So back to Gabe's original question, when an asset continues falling in price after it's been sold, if there's no way of knowing that for certain, Obviously, the gain accrued to whoever sold it and the loss accrues to whoever bought it. But if they go in not knowing exactly what's going to happen and there isn't a defect that is being concealed, then that's just how markets work. Now, an important element of that is who's on the other side of the trade. And we're going to see that markets, when it comes to trading stocks, has changed significantly in the last decade. And we'll see how right after we pause for this week's sponsors. If you're looking for a central location to get the key information on the markets, the pulse of what's going on, I can't think of a better spot than Yahoo Finance. I was just there. could see very quickly what happened today, how stocks sang to end their worst month of 2024. I could see the actual market declines for the US, Europe, Asia, what interest rates did, commodities, currencies. I could see holdings of mine that I recently viewed and key headlines from leading financial publications all in one place, one screen at Yahoo Finance without any annoying pop-ups. Plus with Yahoo Finance, you can get a consolidated view of, of all your investments and retirement accounts, all in one place. The key to investing is access to quality information, and you can get that at Yahoo Finance. They've completely redesigned the website. It's comprehensive, it's high quality, and it can help you with your investing. So for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Prell and I recently had dinner with some friends who run a retail business. They have multiple stores and an online shop. And they recently used Shopify to better manage their inventory so they could ship online orders out of all of their stores instead of the warehouse. It helped them get a higher conversion rate on their website because of Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers, just like it did for our friends, with the Internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash david, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash david now to grow your business, no matter what state you're in shopify.com slash David. Ned Davis wrote a piece the other day where he mentioned a chart from Goldman Sachs and the Eight group, A-I-T-E, and I guess it's making around in the institutional investing world. I couldn't find the chart, unfortunately. If you have it, send me a copy and I'll put it in the show notes. But the, the chart shows that trading in stocks has gone from 25% traded through algorithms, through bots, and now it's 70% as of 2017, probably over 70%, 70% currently. He also referenced an earlier study by Morgan Stanley that put the percentage of high-frequency trading in the stock market at 84%. Huge amount. That same Goldman i-chart showed trading, algorithmic trading and futures near 50%, options near 40%, foreign exchange 30%, fixed income 10%, all up sharply over the past decade. And Davis believes that this high-frequency trading has radically changed daily trading patterns and made daily market movements very noisy, more volatile. And he referenced an article in Bloomberg that I will will definitely link to in the show notes. And if you remember my free insider's guide, you have already gotten those links, along with this week's article, things that didn't make it in the podcast, I only write to Insider's Guide members. You can sign up for that. It's free at moneyfortherestofus.com. So it's it's this note. So the Bloomberg article mentioned a note by the chief, co-chief markets economist, Charles Himmelberg. He's with Goldman. The beginning of the article said, high-frequency traders are a threat to markets as they know the price of everything and the value of nothing. And he, he was part of a quote by Oscar Wilde. And this is different than the, the grain traders that, that sort of, they had a view, they had a position. Algorithmic traders don't. They know the price, but not the value. And here's why he finds that a concern. This is Himmelberg. Computers are prized for their ability to process massive amounts of data better than humans. But it's their relative inability to process a complex world that might lead machines to worry that humans know something they don't when markets go haywire and exit a situation in which they don't have the upper hand. There's an old poker adage that if you can't spot the sucker at the table in your first hour, it's probably you. The same thinking informs why High-frequency traders tend to withdraw in chaotic markets. When shocks of unknown origin can cause sudden price declines, high-frequency traders may have reason to assume that the shock is being driven by fundamental news. And under those circumstances, high-frequency traders are at higher risk of being adversely selected by more fundamentally informed traders, so their optimal response is to withdraw liquidity by widening their quotes or by withdrawing them altogether. So once the the algorithms, the high frequency traders sense something going on, they don't know. Just bots, they they exit the game. They don't want to participate. And Him, Himmelberg says this can cause a feedback. Loop if the selling continues, leading to a lack of liquidity and thus bigger price declines, which drives high-frequent traders to supply even less liquidity, and in some cases, even aggressively demanding liquidity. Thus, maybe not buying, just selling. So maybe they don't actually just sell. And it drives the price down further. And we've had these flash crashes, crashes. In the stock, bond, and foreign exchange market. And so he concludes vulnerabilities in the new market structures are underappreciated simply because they have not been stress tested by this long expansion. So there is a risk of higher volatility because here markets have changed. Most trading in stocks is no longer an investor with a fundamental view. It, it's an algorithm. And we could have more downside when the next bear market comes along. Certainly, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes, when, whenever you're trading an exchange for to fund, always use a limit order where you specify the price you're willing to buy and sell at. Don't do a market order where you take whatever the market gives you because of the the risk of of flash crashes. But we have to be more wary investors now than than ever because of this automation, these high-frequency traders, and it is untested. We don't know what's going to happen the next time We have a a major economic slowdown that leads to a bear market and risk assets. So to summarize and answering the question, are there always winners and losers when it comes to trading? In the course of normal commerce, hopefully not. Hopefully when we buy something, there's enough satisfaction from that. Even if we buy something and potentially it gets put on sale, because that can happen too. A, we buy it, and then the price drops. And again, that information, even if the seller perhaps knew they were going to drop the price, that's okay. They don't have to disclose that because it wasn't a defect. So in commerce, there's not always necessarily winners and looters. Hopefully, if it's a fair trade, both are winners. But when it comes to financial markets, commodities markets, there generally is gonna be a winner and a loser because the price is going to change. If the price goes up after a seller sells, they feel they feel bad. Or if a buyer buys and the price drops, they they feel bad. The key though is that both go into the transaction, there's a level of uncertainty on both sides, even if one of the participants has maybe some some edge some informational edge that wasn't gained illegally that they would just through their due diligence due diligence and work know something and they're trading based on that view they're, if you sell something, I sold for example a a convertible bond closed in fund. CHI. I've owned it since 2015 when I bought it. It was it's by Calamos. It's the I think it's called the Calamos Convertible Opportunity and Income Fund. So I bought it. It was selling at about a 10% discount to its net asset value. It was paying a dividend yield or distribution yield of about 11%. I've held it for almost 3 years. Now it's selling at a a 5% premium or 4% premium to net asset value. This is a fund that's 40% non-investment grade convertible bonds. And so I felt I've made 14% annualized on this investment. I don't know what's going to happen. I know it's selling at a premium. So I sold it. Whoever bought that thinks the premium is going to get wider because there's just less opportunity in the, in I guess there's just less to premium. It's a, well, it's it's a Calamos fund and this is a convertible opportunity fund. I don't know why whoever bought it, bought it, but they bought it. Maybe it was a, a high frequency trader that's going to flip it. I don't know, but there's uncertainty. And if the price keeps going up, I'll feel a little bit bad. But on the other hand, if it drops, I'll feel good. And whoever bought it potentially feels bad, but that's just the way trading and assets work, as long as we we are not dishonest, that we're not hiding defects in the case of perhaps selling a car or some other assets. But as long as there's uncertainty on both sides, that's just the way markets work, and there will be a winning and losing that accrues to, to one of those parties. So that is episode 210. Get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I'm not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.